Hello, um, I'm Nina Van Valkenburg, and welcome to another podcast in a series of podcasts recorded by Fashion Business School, London College of Fashion, University Arts London. Today, we are joined by three inspiring former MA students from Fashion Business School who completed their final major projects in 2021. They will discuss their findings and share their knowledge from the use of immersive technologies in luxury fashion e-tail to enhancing the well-being of the apparel sector's female garment workers to a business report exploring how clienteling is implemented in the Spanish fashion luxury industry. Melanie, Kieran, Fernando, welcome. Um, could we just start off um, by you introducing yourselves? Hi, Melanie, why don't you go ahead? Yeah. Hi, my name is Melanie Vijay Singha, and I studied Masters in Fashion Innovation and Entrepreneurship at London College of Fashion. Hello, my name is Kiran Ali, and I have just graduated from MA Strategic Fashion Marketing at Fashion Business School, London College of Fashion, University of the Arts, London. Hello, my name is Fernando Cortez, and I have just graduated from the MA in Strategic Fashion Marketing as well at Fashion Business School, London College of Fashion, uh, University of the Arts, London. Well, thank you so much for making the time. I really look forward to hearing more about your work. Um, before we go into the details, I'd love it if you could give us an overview about your final projects. Uh, Kieran, why don't we start with you? So my final project was uh, the consumer acceptance and use of uh, technology, immersive technology, particularly in luxury fashion e-tail. E-tail is e-commerce platforms of luxury fashion. So I wanted to look into the, uh, the, the perspective of consumer, how they perceive these new technologies, how they are interacting with them, and how they want to see the future of these technologies within the luxury fashion when they shop luxury online. And um, I mean, of course, later on, uh, we will go towards the findings, but it was a very interesting re research at, as it gave, gave me some insights on um, uh, different aspects of consumer. And one more uh, really interesting aspect of my research was it was a cross-cultural research because what I really wanted to find out is that, that it's, it's, it's given and we read a lot with regards to how technologies are being used, implemented and accepted in the developed or the more you know, European parts of the world in European um, countries as well as in USA. But I wanted to look into the perspective of Middle Eastern countries as well. Hence I chose United Kingdom and UAE as core area of my research, where then I uh, did a, um, a survey uh, where we we gathered all this data, which was later on then evaluated and uh, presented in my project. That's brilliant. And I look forward to hearing more about the actual findings and that you uncovered. Um, Fernando, what about yourself? I know that you did a business report. Yeah, so I did a business report trying to explore the clientele tactics in, in the Spanish luxury market. Um, so it was uh, understanding the current clientele tactics and also uh, if there was a relationship with uh, hyper-personalization and, and CRM um, and how it all based on, um, on the Spanish country because I think it was a bit different. Usually people go for like bigger countries um, but I wanted to do something that was part of uh, like mine and touches my heart. So I wanted to bring um, the luxury uh, Spanish sector. 
No, and I think it's so important, you know, that it is focused on a particular context, a particular region, um, because you obviously receive much more meaningful results. So again, looking forward to hearing more about the findings. And uh, Melanie, can you tell us about your research? Um, yes, Nina. Um, so my pilot project was on the well-being of the female workforce in the apparel sector and what kind of new disciplines we could apply to improve the well-being of the segment because um, what I researched was like um, to investigate if the female workforce in the apparel sector also could benefit from positive psychology coaching because um, mostly, you know, in order to mostly we, we go through basic needs and wages and, you know, ethical production, but we don't think of their well-being. So um, therefore, I thought it was really interesting. And my title was Investigating the Importance of Positive Psychology Coaching as an Intervention for Enhancing the Well-being of the Apparel Sector's Female Garment Workers in the Fashion Industry and a study done in Sri Lanka within the context of an ethical labor background. And let me just, um, you know, continue with you, Melanie, here. I mean, this topic, what led you to this topic? Was this something that you were interested before starting your master's? Was this something that you were reading about and you wanted to explore further? Yes, Nina, it was really interesting because um, I myself, I have a little um, production staff uh, for the last 10 years. <clears throat> and one of the challenges that I've faced was, you know, with how to increase their well-being because the fashion industry talks about you know giving fair wages and health and safety environments but nobody really talks about the well-being of the staff and the rest of the industries have identified that investigating in their human capital through a well-being is a necessity now to building a strong and competitive workforce but in this context there's not much done for the upper sector female workforce so when I was researching on it, I found there was a clear knowledge gap, you know, where positive psychology was used for this workforce. So hence I found that it was really intriguing to research if positive psychology coaching can be of any important tool to enhance the well-being of the female garment workers. And could you give a little bit of an overview as to how you conducted your research? Um, what methods did you use? Because it's an important subject. I mean, especially well-being, it's very much the forefront of consumers, of producers' minds. Um, yeah, how did you go about your research? So I followed an interpretivism approach and that is naturally associated with qualitative methods. So I had to conduct <clears throat> in-depth interviews, focus groups, and I did a qualitative survey to generate and develop subjective meanings of the phenomena. So initially I was to travel to the destination where the research was to take place, which was in Sri Lanka. But you know, Nina, it was the peak of the pandemic. <laughs> and um, obviously with the travel restrictions, I was not able to travel and it was really challenging, but I managed to organize virtual video meetings for my um, in-depth interviews and the focus group. So, those were the um, areas I focused on and that's how I did the research. I think it's very inspiring to hear that you were able to conduct you know, successfully the research you know, despite the challenges of the pandemic. And I'm sure Fernando and Kieran, you can uh, relate to those challenges. Um, Fernando, now moving on to you. Um, I love how you focused on, on the Spanish market. Um, could you give some insight, you know, why you chose um, this particular area to focus on and also how you conducted your research? Because I think it's a little bit different than a classic dissertation with you looking at a, a business report. 
Yeah, um, um, so uh, basically what happened is that I work at the luxury industry. Uh, I was a client advisor at the luxury firm uh, for over two years uh, before entering DMA when I was doing my bachelor's. And somehow I've always been interested in luxury, but when I started working there, I started knowing how important was that relationship with the clients. Um, and I have a lot of meaning, like I understood what was clientele. And when I started uh, thinking, what could I do? I really like this. Uh, but then when I entered the academia, I saw that there was not a lot of papers about that. So the industry was talking about it. You could see like uh, business uh, both and business magazines talking about it, but you couldn't see uh, the academia approaching that and trying to understand what was clientele and how it sit on a marketing, uh, from a marketing perspective or a retail perspective. Um, so I started from that. And then um, also I conducted my research because I knew a lot of people. So it was easy to me to just somehow get them with me. I did, uh, I had 18 participants. It was a qualitative research. So it was a focus group, two focus group with three people in each focus group. And then the, the other one uh, was um, the other one, semi-structured interviews. And also I added consumers because it's a bit difficult. Clientele is the, the relationship that the client advisor develops with the client and they tell more about themselves. It's like, I know Nina that you like, um, I don't know, that you go on holidays on summer always to, to Marbella. So I will always tell you what you can wear before that because I know yourself more then you usually even know you. So I, I, I was interested in knowing how clients would receive that. So I also did some structure interviews with them um, to know what the Spanish consumer felt about that. So um, that's why I, I did it. I think it was all meant to be somehow, so yeah. And from a consumer's perspective, I mean, what, is it positive? I mean, do they enjoy that level of clienteling, you know, where somebody does know me better than myself in a way? Or did you receive some negative responses? Yeah, if you could give us some insight. Yeah, so um, the, the findings were that they love it, to be honest, because somehow now we're really, um, we get that personalization really easily. Uh, if you do email marketing, you have like, hello, first name, and then you think you it's you, like, hello, Nina. <clears throat> but I just put hello, F first name, F name, or something like that. So when they really know you and they know, like, um, they were like, one client said like, I love when they know what is the name of my dog. And I was like, really, but why is it? And they say like, they care about my dog. And my dog is like my son. And I was like, okay, okay, that's fine. That's fine. And And they were like, and then an, an, another store manager told us like one client, they get um, some water to the dock and she was like visiting the store and then she ended up spending 50K and, and they were like, you treat my dog better than me. And for me, my dog is better than me. So if you treat them, him well, uh, I'll be spending here. So it's really funny because we see it from another perspective maybe, but it's really important to, to really understand uh, the customer and all their needs. And somehow now it's not just about how are you and what is your style? It's more about your whole life. I mean, that's one of the beauties of doing qualitative research, isn't it? I mean, hearing these quite eccentric mm. stories, you know, meeting people, you know, uncovering the mm. depth there. And I mean, I guess um, your topic is, all of your topics are very relevant today um, because it's so saturated, you know, we need to have that personalization, that experience. 
Um, and with your findings, um, have you been able to, I don't know, implement them in your in your day to day work? Have you been able to share those results with uh, maybe people in your own network? So um, I'm currently working in another industry. It's not the same, uh, but I did share my finds with a lot of because I had like store managers also coming on board. Um, and they were for smaller brands. They were luxury big brands from conglomerates, but it's really difficult if we talk about a Louis Vuitton or if we talk a Chanel or something that is more small where the store manager has a lot to do and they can choose a lot the perspective of the store. So I did share with them and they were like, this is working. So some findings were like um, scheduling uh, for client advisor when they can talk better with the clients because clients might get upset if I just talk to you and I'm expecting you to answer and I don't know exactly where you are. Um, also implementing the software uh, because the software might be missing some things. They needed uh, more easy access to writing down notes because like if it's just you, Nina, okay, I can know your life. But if I, if I have to understand the life of Nina, Karen, Melanie and 10 more clients or 20 and, and it grows, we need to somehow store our, um, our brain somehow. So um, some implement uh, some of the implementations were already done in some stores, so I'm really happy about that. And I think the beauty of that research as well is applicable to other industries. And I mean, even all of your work, I mean, whether it's technology, whether it's well-being, whether it's personalization and relationships, I mean, it's not just in fashion. Um, and I think, you know, especially today, industries are merging together, so you can use it in different contexts. Um, and what I liked hearing about your story as well, Fernando, is, I mean, you did have experience before going into the MA, so you already had that pool of people to, um, well, to, to interview, to, to rely on. And I think that's always a big question going into a master's program. It's like, should I go directly after undergrad? Should I have experience? And it depends on, you know, everybody's situation. But I guess in your case, um, it really worked out having some work experience before. Um, now, moving on to, to Kieran. Um, so how, I, I mean, technology is booming, it's changing every day. Um, how did you kind of narrow down to, I believe you looked at AR and VR. Um, could you kind of walk us through the process of what technologies you were looking at, why they were relevant, and also maybe some of those cultural differences between UK and the UAE? Uh, so when I conducted this, my research, it, it of course, it's a quantitative uh, research where uh, I conducted the research through, through survey. And uh, the reason why I chose this particular topic is that it very much connects my past, present and future. So in past, I come from um, like all, I have almost a decade of experience where I moved companies online, all kind of companies. I, I was fortunate enough to work with big corporates in retail as well as the smaller SME businesses mid-market businesses. And one challenge that I always saw is that whenever a new technology or a new kind of, uh, you know, anything which new, uh, new comes in is related to e-commerce, everybody panics and nobody knows what to do, which way to go and how to adapt it, what, their what is right for their business. People start like, you know, investing a lot of money, but sometimes they really miss the key aspect of how consumer is interacting towards these technologies. And um, particularly in a bigger corporation or bigger corporate businesses, or if it's luxury, it's not an issue. And that is the reason why I wanted to look at it at this stage, because uh, luxury fashion, when uh, this, this whole uh, technology acceptance and adaptation was catalyzed by a uh, pandemic. 
So initially where luxury fashion was very reluctant to even go online, all of a sudden in past two years because of the pandemic, they just came out of their shells and they started implementing these new technologies. And um, it was a bit overwhelming for consumer where on one hand, before pandemic, consumer wanted that experience. They wanted to go to the shop as what Fernando said. They wanted the essays to know them. They wanted the people who are dealing with them to know them personally. Now everything is online. And that's exactly where my research came in because I wanted to understand that if now that same consumer, when we saw luxury booming in past two years, the, 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 the world is on lockdown, but we see constant sale. So what is that aspect that is driving this consumer online and they, they are willing to purchase? Uh, so uh, uh, I had to adapt two models. One was based on um, the technology and the other was uh, the cultural aspect of both regions, UK and UAE. What was really interesting is that, that um, in both regions, when I looked into these different technologies, including the 360 degree videos, 360 degree content, um, uh, AR, VR and merged reality. Um, uh, in UK, uh, specifically, I'll say overall the European countries, I've, uh, I found out that the consumer were more open and willing to accept those technologies. Their facilitating, uh, facilitating conditions were much better. And it was nothing, uh, something, it, it wasn't a big decision for them to go online, rather it was more convenient for them to go online than go, and sh uh, go to the store and shop. Whereas moving into the Middle East or UAE specifically, when I looked into the uh, these seven states of UAE, including Dubai, Abu Dhabi, Sharjah, um, uh, and uh, Fujairah and uh, uh, neighboring states, what was really interesting is that that their um, cultural it's a very cultural thing for them to go out for shopping, go to a shopping mall. It's a lifestyle. It's every day. So for them, the facilitating conditions were not as good along with their own um, habit of buying as well, where they were, they wanted to go to mall, they wanted to experience that. So when I asked them questions about which technology they prefer, um, there was some hesitation. And when I had to constantly keep pushing and asking and like, you know, trying to reach out to more and more people, uh, I evaluated that uh, those who came forward, they, they mostly talked about either how they are going to miss out on the experience or otherwise they were not uh, very confident with the facilitating conditions of the, these technologies within those areas or where they live. Um, so yeah, that was one side of this research. Um, and uh, uh, with regards to challenges, would you like me to discuss them now? I, I mean, yeah, one challenge again, because I chose to research two very different regions, but equally, I'll say rich in uh, kind of culture, equally rich in resources and equally futuristic. That was an interesting aspect that as much as UK is futuristic, same as UAE, so willing to accept the technology. Uh, but the people were willing to respond here where I gathered a lot of data from UK and I was really struggling for UAE data. So I had to travel despite of the pandemic. I had no option. I had to go there and I had to then meet people, meet some uh, lecturers in the universities and request them if I can access their students and speak to them. Although it was a quantitative research, but then I ended up like, you know, interviewing a lot of people one-to-one one, one one as well, 
which of course became a more interesting part of that research. But I think uh, in the future, it will then come good for me because I'm, I continue this research further in my next what I plan to do. Wow, I mean, you truly, as a researcher, immersed yourself into both contexts. And I mean, is this, you know, you actually being in the field, so to speak, is that what inspired you to continue as you, uh, your work as an academic? Because now you're pursuing your PhD. Uh, yes. Uh, so the reason why I actually chose this specific technology related topic is, as I discussed earlier, the confusion of these mid-market mid and small companies where SMEs particularly, where they don't know which way to go. And my, this first research actually provides a very clear outline that how consumer prefer these technologies. Number one is this, number two is this, number three is that out of these five technologies, this is what consumer says. Based on a very comprehensive research, I gathered 350 respondents between the two regions. Uh, so, uh, that, that's a good number it's in itself when you say that, you know, um, if, if they prefer a 360 degree video rather than emerged reality straight away on a website, that makes sense. Now, moving into my PhD, I am focusing on SMEs. So I take what I've learned, I, uh, I, um, I take all the knowledge, I take all the learnings, and now I focus on the next market, which is not luxury, but rather SMEs. So again, I'm going, going to look into all the technologies which keep on coming in the next few years in my PhD. I take the data that I gathered in my uh, this previous research from uh, luxury fashion. And then I understand that how this technology will be implemented in future in SME sector in a more cost-effective and efficient way because SMEs don't really have a lot of resources and cash to keep experimenting. And since I've worked with them for almost over a decade, so I understand that uh, um, there is a clear gap in the, uh, in the field in this area. And that's how this my PhD was born. Yes, it was part of the process while I was doing my master's, but then it became more clear. I mean, that connection is, is very interesting. And will your PhD also be looking at the UK and UAE? Yes. Fantastic. <laughs> well, well, research as well. I, I think Kieran, you and Fernando could be a good research team in terms of, you know, getting the technology to, you know, create more, you know, kind of customer relationships in a meaningful way. Because as we've seen with the pandemic, I mean, people want to have a positive experience. They want to feel something. And it's one of the challenges, you know, on an online context, isn't it? So, um, yeah, we can see maybe a few years down the line of a paper emerging from both of you. <laughs> Um, and you mentioned your challenges, and it's incredible how you overcame them actually going, you know, to the field, you know, of the UAE and your, your circumstances. Um, Melanie, I wonder about your challenges um, that you faced as a researcher. I mean, you said, you know, as well, the pandemic influenced um, your work, but what advice would you give for the next cohort of master's students? Um, you know, anything that you've learned, maybe something that you'd do better or something that, um, you know, you overcame a challenge in a certain way? Yeah, so um, Nina, just like um, Kieran said, SMEs have a lot of challenges and not many resources. So I own a legal business um, for the last 10 years, and I know what my own personal challenges have been. Being an entrepreneur is like a really lonely path, and you have challenges from human resources to financials, 
product. So it's just a lot of challenges that one would go through. So I used my own experience in terms of um, human resources and how the apparel sector staff, uh, the production female uh, workforce, how they feel, how we can improve them. I used my own experience with my staff because the people I have, they've been working with me for the last 10 years and they're still working with me. So I found that there is some secret method that perhaps I've been doing right. So when I looked into it um, and this subject, which is positive psychology coaching, which, which was a module in my master's, I, I saw a clear um, relevance to it and I kind of resonated with the subject. So for me, it was basically, I was passionate about the subject because I had experience in handling that sector. So I think most importantly, who, when you are embarking on a master's, or any research, you need to be passionate about the topic and not just passionate if you have some kind of relevance or some experience or an area that you work with. I think it really relates and it can really help you to go really deep into it and um, have good findings. So I think it, it should be, you should really be passionate about the topic you choose. That was the case for myself, Nina. Completely. And I mean, since we're on the topic here, could you tell us a little bit about your business and what inspired you to actually pursue a master's? So my business has been in the bridal and evening wear. And I basically uh, cater to a niche market of uh, mostly third generation uh, immigrants living in the UK, USA, South Africa, Australia, anywhere in the world globally. So um, my production has been happening in Sri Lanka for the last 10 years, and I've had a really um, loyal workforce. And my workforce has been my biggest strength, actually, because I live in the UK. And for me to remotely manage a factory based in a completely different continent, it's a massive challenge. And way before the pandemic hit, I have used technology to do that. So since 2010 and then 2014, I've been um, um, managing it through virtually. So as Kiran said, technology, but we're a very small company, but we've used it and uh, this has worked. And I think along with um, using technology, using uh, positive psychology coaching for the workforce has really been uh, one of my key strengths in retaining the business up to date, so yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. And again, you had that experience, I mean, tremendous amount of experience before going into the MA. And I mean, it's given you a lot. Um, well, for your research, you have that focus. And I mean, you were able to, I guess, from your findings, be able to implement that in your work and um, will inspire other uh, SMEs, other businesses. Um, and, you know, just moving on to um, Fernando, one of the questions as well is, you know, you've experienced a lot during the masters um you know many people are asking you know kind of the value of education you know why you know pursue a degree you know the world is changing um you know what is one of the biggest takeaways that you had from the master's program um but maybe specifically you know throughout your research project um instead of just thinking about your findings maybe you know did it improve your i don't know um you know work ethic as a, as a researcher yeah some insight there would be great 
Yeah, so I think uh, first I'm going to uh, agree with with Melanie in terms of the passion that you have to to have to do this. So I think uh, that's one thing that you get away. You end up knowing if you are really passionate about the topic or you absolutely hate it because you spend so much time going and going and rereading and you just read again what you've just read and you've just written. So I think that's something that uh, you get out of it. You know exactly what you want and what you don't. And I think that's uh, what the master is really good about is like you get to understand more about yourself and um, actually not just in terms of your passion, but who you are as a professional. You get to know if you like um, fast paced environment or if you like taking your time to go through things. If you're a perfectionist or, and you don't care working on a Sunday or a Saturday, or if you're basically you want to have your work that is Monday to Friday, really um, scheduled and right. So I think that's something that I that I got out of it is the the um, the idea of knowing who I am as a professional. Uh, I'm a bit of a workaholic. I knew before, but now I know even more. Um, I don't care if I have to work on a Sunday uh, because I know what is my passion and and I'm really happy to do that. So I think that's really important to do um, to keep uh, pursuing um, a master's or a PhD. I would love to do that, but not now. I I want to have more work experience because I'm I'm really really young. Um, I'm 23, so I just did my bachelor's and then I moved directly to the master's. So I want to wait a bit more until I do my PhD. But I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about doing it just because I'll know I'll get to know more myself and how I progress as a person and a professional when I might do it when I'm 30 or when I'm like a bit older. So yeah, that's what I think uh, you get out of academia. Well, I mean, that's the well big takeaway from this or speaking with the three of you. I mean, you each are so passionate about your area of the industry and the industry is so vast. And I think one of the challenges is finding your place and how to actually contribute to it, you know, in a meaningful way. And the fact that you're taking the time to research, to reflect, to speak and learn from others um, is, is very inspiring. And I agree with you. I think that is what the value of a master's program is. And, you know, Kieran, just, just going to you now, I mean, you are, you know, I'm at the beginning of this PhD process, which is a challenge, I can relate to it. Um, you know, do you feel like you have the tools to, um, you know, embark on a research career from your master's? Absolutely. So I am uh, a, a slightly mature student compared to uh, Fernando. <laughs> So uh, the, uh, I did my first post-graduation in 2012, and I took my good almost eight, nine years to go in the market work, understand how market is like. And uh, initially, what, what I really wanted to understand is that where do I want to specialize? I just didn't want it to go into it. And I certainly agree with Fernando here that take your time, do some work, do your get your experience, and then understand that, you know, it's, it's, it's a lifestyle that at the end of the day you choose um, uh, where, wherever you specialize specifically, I say. If I, so after a few years when I came back, uh, I always knew I want to do PhD, but I thought I'll do it. I'll do my master's now and then I'll take another five years and then come back for PhD. But then the pandemic happened and then the technology, I always wanted to do into the technologies and how they are being accepted and moving and implemented in fashion. And when I saw the whole this uh, effect of how the uh, pandemic has catalyzed the whole um, retail, 
I then prog decided to progress into my PhD straight, straight away after my master's. And my uh, master's has pro provided me all those tools. And I feel, I think I feel much more confident uh, going in the process now. And I'm glad that I did not go back out and kind of came back in because it then just breaks that rhythm and the kind of research rhythm I am in right now. I'm not finding it very difficult at the moment in terms of meeting my targets, deadlines, then uh, kind of uh, going into academia as well myself. So it, it, it's all side by side and I'm very pleased with the way it's working out because of my master's uh, the kind of uh, the, the ground it has provided me and well, tools and skills, yeah. Well, I wish you the best of luck for this, uh, you know, beginning of this very exciting journey and looking forward to reading, you know, your research as we move ahead. And um, you've, you've all answered my questions beautifully. And just to conclude here, um, I'd love for you to just finish, you know, the, this, this, this sentence in a way. What excites you most in the fashion industry? So I'll, I'll ask all of you this. So Kieran, starting with you, what is that one thing that excites you the most in the fashion industry today or looking ahead in the future? Um, I, I, I believe right now what really excites me is that the awareness that all these brands are gaining at the moment with regards to everything, either it's their um, kind of the aspect how they, uh, they interact with their consumer, it's the consumer side, it's the business side, or it's the production side. It's the whole um, process and each and every brand is becoming more and more aware of the sustainability side of their businesses, um, the technology side of their businesses and how uh, they can uh, contribute towards a better future of the planet as well as overall fashion. Uh, that's something which is really interesting for me at this point. And I really want to see, you know, uh, initially when something starts, everybody just, uh, a lot of this is buzz, a lot of it is buzz terms as well. But as the fog sets, then you actually start to see the winners or the people who stick to their promises. So that's what I want to follow these journeys of these companies and see who is actually going to stick with all these amazing promises that they are doing at this stage, especially in the pandemic. Fantastic. Uh, Fernando, what excites you in the industry? Um, so basically, I'm really excited about how now brands are starting to be customer centric because I always used to hear that they are all about the consumer, but then uh, you get to know specifically uh, in luxury that it's not about the consumer, it's just about the, these few consumers that rule the world, let's say, or rule the store because they're the ones that really do a lot. So now I think having a voice and being heard, that's what I really like. And also being part of the brand. Now it's not only the brand choosing what they do, it's uh, the brand choosing, but then also hearing the consumers and what they have to say. So I think that's really brilliant and how it's going to change in a few years. Absolutely. And finally, Melanie, what excites you in the industry today and looking ahead? So for me, the fashion industry is one of the most um, innovative industries to be in, really, because if you look at the industry, you know, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, it was just about design and creativity. But we've just come a long way. It's beyond design and creativity. Now it's all about whatever there is. Um, whether it's political issues or environmental issues or social issues, the fashion industry is taking the lead to, um, as Kiran said, to um, you know, uh, acknowledge them. 
So we look at technology. In technology, I think the fashion industry is one of the most innovative to adapt to it. Uh, digital transformation is amazing in fashion technology, uh, fashion um, industry because retail is part of it and how you know all of the fashion brands have adapted is just amazing. And then we look at sustainability, how we address it. They really acknowledge and you know the initiatives taken to um, uh, to tackle this issue and social issues in you know diversity, inclusivity. So I think being in an industry that's always looking for change to adapt is really interesting because there's we we are not just creating beautiful things, but we are being part of a bigger um, thing in the world and being part of a wider you know uh, earth community. So yeah, that's what really interests me. Well, Melanie, that's a perfect sentence to finish on. Um, thank you so much, the three of you, for joining me today. Um, I'm certainly very inspired by your work, and I look forward to keeping in touch and seeing um, or following the amazing things that you're going to be doing. So speak soon. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. And, um, well, I'll hear from you later. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thank you.